Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Short Term Show. Today, we have one of my really good friends, the co-founder of Real Estate Invest Her and multifamily syndicator at the DeRosa Group, Liz Faircloth. How's it going, Liz? Doing great, Avery. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. So I think that you're going to add a lot of value to this podcast in that a lot of our listeners have a few short-term rentals already. They've got that cash flow rolling in. They've got that capital built up and they're like, okay, what's next? I need to diversify. What do I do next? So um, really, really excited to get into this content with you, but let's start at the beginning. So tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you're doing. Sure, sure. So uh, started our, I started my investing journey, uh, if you will, about 16 years ago. My husband and I, a boyfriend at the time, uh, got, you know, handed someone, a uh, brother-in-law handed me, rich dad, poor dad. I was going to get my degree in social work. I wanted to be a counselor. I wanted to be like a, open my own practice, you know, type of, I've always liked helping people in that way and counseling them. My husband was at the time, boyfriend was an engineer. So we both had our own little career paths, very focused on, on building that. And then, like I said, my brother-in-law handed me rich dad, poor dad. And it completely blew my mind, like a lot of people, because I didn't have anyone else that I even knew that was an entrepreneur that had rental properties. Um, it just wasn't in our world. It wasn't in our, our either of our lives or had any sort of role models or et cetera. So we we both were just really intrigued. And then we started to do more research. We started to go to like RIA, local RIA meetings. Uh, Dig was the local one in Philadelphia. And I just we both were like, wow, this is pretty amazing. We can buy property. We can add value. We can actually transform it and actually make a difference in a, in a community and make money. Like this is amazing. How hard can this be? <laughs> and it is harder than just that. Right. But it, um, you know, so anyway, we got our start by buying a, a duplex. It took us about a year. Uh, we took courses. We literally every weekend we got together, we were dating and uh, planning our wedding. And in between all of that, we were looking for property. We were looking for our first deal. Um, we didn't have the money to to really do much with. My father um, lent us 30000 uh, and said he would lend us some money for our first project. Uh, he lent it at like 6%, which was amazing, right? So if you think about it, we we're very grateful for that. Uh, not every lender loans their, their money at 6%. Uh, most of them don't, right? But um, but we got to start that way. And we found a duplex by cold calling, door knocking, uh, just kind of really um, guerrilla marketing, if you will, uh, and and just calling for rent ads, actually, and saying, hey, you know, are, are you open to selling? That was just something we were told to do. So we did it. And uh, someone said, yeah, we'll meet. Let's let's talk. We're like, whoa. Uh, so that's pretty cool. That's, this is cool. Someone wants to talk to us. And then we ended up striking up a deal. And then from there, um, after that, we did, ended up really moving to New Jersey, focusing on the Jersey market uh, and um, building our business from there, getting involved in flips, new construction, all thing, different things over our tenure until we really got focused on multifamily uh, and then and then, and then building with, with passive investors. That was kind of, you know, where we really got our stride, but it took some time. I will say it didn't, wasn't like an overnight thing. We were more like the steady Eddie, make mistakes, figure it out, do it on our own type of investors from, for many years until we got hit our stride. That's great though. It's good to be slow and steady. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to buy two or three short-term rentals and quit my job. And like, no, <laughs> it's not really, even though it's, it can be a make quite a bit of money much more quickly than you could with long-term single families. It's still a get rich slow. It's still real estate, you know, real mm -hmm. estate, get rich slow, figure it out as you go kind of thing. So I like that slow and steady, you know, we're figuring things out before we get too crazy and real estate investing while dating. I mean, nothing says romance, like going to a real estate investor. <laughs> we did it all of the time. We were such dorks. Like we created business plans together. And we're, I'm like, you know, most, most, most people in their twenties are like, you know, going to have fun, go to the bars. And we did, we had, you know, we did go, we weren't complete like losers or anything. We did go to the bar occasionally, <laughs> but, um, 
but yeah, I, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, because you really look back and go, cause my husband at the time, our boyfriend, he was more of the engager, just wanted to have fun. That's one of his love languages. That's like why he's on this earth. And I was like, I need to build a business. Like even as like a 22 year old. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but we came together and then found that balance. That's awesome. So let's talk back before you got into syndication. So about how many properties would you say you had in your portfolio before you kind of switched into this syndication mode? You know, and, and that's a really good question. And but I'll give you an answer, but then I want to talk about the, the, the leap, if you will, because I think okay. it can feel a little overwhelming and scary. But yeah, we had probably about our first syndication uh, was DeRosa Capital 4, and, and we're actually on DeRosa Capital 16, so just to give Ooh. you a context. So 4 was a 10-unit, it was a and it was a four unit and a two unit. So it was about, I, I want to say 16 units in total. Uh, so that was our first syndication. We and, and we filed with the SEC, and there's a whole process to that. So that's that's kind of was our first one. We did private money partnerships before that. But you know, I'm, I'll speak to the differences. But I'd say at that point we had about a hundred doors around there. Um, and, and we were at a hundred doors for a long time. So we've scaled much quickly as you buy larger assets, you do with more people, uh, you know, but to get to four took us just as much time, right? Uh, some, in some ways, since our, our, our growth has been more exponential in the last several years versus the, maybe the first, you know, eight or nine years. So um, we got to the point around 2010 where we um, utilized you know, our, our parents, you know, we were working with our parents in terms of, you know, money partners utilizing our own cash, which, you know, wasn't, wasn't a tremendous amount. And we said, okay, we, we have this experience. Let's start using, um, let's start partnering with other people. And you have to be careful, right? You can use it on the debt side or equity side. Those are really the two ways you're going to create private money partnerships, if you will. Um, and you have to be very careful on both. Uh, but with the lending side, we were working with lenders and on the, on the equity side, um, we had an active partnership with uh, several people where we'd start to buy two single family homes, three single family homes, a fourplex. So again, we didn't syndicate, uh, we, our first private money deal wasn't a syndication. And I, I always recommend people to get their feet wet in, in working with people before, if you want to syndicate eventually, great. Um, meaning you're pulling money together and you're buying larger assets, but, but here's the deal. Syndication, filing with the SEC doesn't have to just be bigger deals. That's where you want to be careful, meaning it's passive investors. People are literally, they have a hundred grand. They are, they are going to be equity partners, you limited partners. And they're, you know, they're investing a hundred grand into your deal as a limited partner. You're the general partner, you're running it. And they sit back and collect their check in a sense, right? They're not checking the property. They don't have any responsibilities. That's considered uh, you know, a syndication and it's legal for them to not do anything. Now, so many people, Avery, are buying a single family home with like their buddy who's got $50,000. They don't have any money or they don't have any money to invest. I mean, they bring something to the deal. They bring a lot to the deal. They find it. They, they know how to deal with the con contractor, et cetera, et cetera. And then that buddy just literally puts in 50 grand and does nothing else. Well, they're considered a passive investor. Even if it's a single family home, that is not legally sound, right? You're supposed to actually file with the SEC because that is a passive investor. So my biggest lesson just to share with the listeners too is in order to, um, my husband, not to just give a shameless plug, but my husband wrote Raising Private Capital for Bigger Pockets. And he talks about the four prongs of, of, of the SEC. Again, we're not attorneys, but you have to be careful of how active or how passive equity partners are and the way to to legally, you know, um, you know, to do it right, obviously, not to break any laws is to have active partners, active, active equity partners. And active can mean different things, right? This person could be auditing the books. Our first private money partner audited the books um, uh, on a weekly basis. He personally guaranteed the loan. That, that was a value. And he also put in 50 grand. We put zero dollars in and we ran the project day to day and, and, and hired the contractors. And we did like a, you know, Burr, classic Burr method of, of those single families, two single family homes. I just say that because so many people, quote unquote, want to syndicate. And there's so many pieces to that. And you can buy larger projects, but it's really about being careful of the roles people have, especially when they're in, when they have money and they're putting into projects. That's another thing that I wanted to ask you. So I think a lot of people maybe misuse the term syndicate when maybe they mean like 
start a fund. So let's, what is your like baseline definition of a syndication? Yeah. And, and syndicate is also very much in my, you know, at least my, my knowledge base is that, you know, syndicate is connected to filing with the SEC. You're filing your project with, with this, you know, Securities Exchange Commission, right? And uh, you're working with an attorney who's an SEC attorney. Like it's, you know, it's a very, um, you're dotting your I's, you're crossing your T's. It's a whole big deal. <laughs> it's a big deal, right? You, you know, and that's why I say so many people are doing things, especially in our business of investing, that, that they have to be very careful, especially on the active and passive side. So when I think syndication, you're filing with the SEC. That's, that's, and you're pooling money together sometimes millions, sometimes in our first uh, DeRosa Capital Four, I want to say, and you're pulling money together from a down payment and maybe initial construction, depending on how you're getting finance perspective. You're still getting traditional financing. You're still getting institutional lend, uh, you know, lender involved, especially buying large assets. It's not like we take a 670 unit, five property portfolio that we just closed on and you're buying that all in cash with your private investors, you could do that. That's not how most of our syndications have been set up. The syndication is in essence, right? Whether it's 75, 25, depending on where the where, where all the, the uh, percentages are, where you're, you're, lend where you're getting your lending. Um, but it's the down money. And it, typically, it's also some initial construction money as well, uh, depending on the project and how much you're getting from your lender. But my point in saying that is it's, it's, it's meant to create an opportunity for people pulling money together to go buy larger assets. But again, the roles are critical. In a syndication, there is a general partner. There's an operator. There is a syndicator. They're in essence operating the project. They're finding it. They're financing it. They're putting the debt and equity together called a capital stack in this world. Uh, and they're they're building a team to find the property manager. They're, they're getting in it's not just property manager, you become the asset manager. You hear that term a lot in this world. So again, it's really coordinating and controlling the asset. The limited partner, right? And it's typically a 70-30 split. So the syndicator might take, uh, the operator, I should say, the general partner could take 30% of the project, of the deal, of the cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. And the, um, the limited partners, right? Your passive investors are, are taking 70% of the project. However, at, you know, you got to remember, like the, the money coming from a project and the control of the project are different. So although the limited partners have 70 percent of, of the of the equity in the in the building, in the project, if you will, at least in our in our deals, which is fairly common, um, they don't have 70 percent of the control. Right. They have the, the control is on the general partner side, especially for making day to day decisions, hiring and firing property managers, you know, all the things right that, that need to be considered. So the, the, the question, I mean, we do a lot of talking about this because some active investors become passive and they want to tell the active investor what to do and how to do it. And that's not the role of a passive investor in a syndication. They can learn. They can ask questions. Certainly, they should be asking questions. What's your construction budget? How are you hiring a project? You want to ask a ton of questions. It's your money invested in a project. You have every right to ask tons of questions and do your due diligence to make sure you're... you're um, investing with the right syndicator in the right projects, but you're not going to not ultimately, right. Not going to necessarily make the call. That makes a lot of sense. I can see how a passive investor might want, you know, all of us want to have a little control over stuff. So I can sure. see how that, that could become a thing and setting expectations is important upfront. Yep. So if I am, I'm just a regular investor. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say I'm accredited because you have to be accredited for most of that. And we'll we'll get to the definition of that in a second. So if I'm looking for a, a syndicator or a sponsor to place mm -hmm. some money with, what is the number one thing or uh, maybe a few things that I should look for when I'm looking for a syndication to place my money with? Yeah, I love this. We just literally recorded a five video series on Justin and I for uh with with bigger pockets. Mm -hmm. And they're 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 gonna be um sharing it with their pro members. So uh so we literally just wrapped that up like yesterday. So this is all very fresh in my mind and just the world we're in. Um a few key things. You know, there there's two things that you want to well, literally a, few, a number of things. Number one, you're vetting the operator, you're vetting the actual syndicator. So that's that's in and of itself critical beyond the market and, and beyond the actual project, right? So if you think about the deal itself, the building, the multiple buildings, 
Um, that's one thing. You got the market itself that that project is in, and then you and then you have the syndicator, the operator. I think that becomes Avery, in my opinion, the most important part that you want to vet. Not that you want to you know not look at the market or not look at the project and get into projects that just don't make sense, but you know you have to really look at the track record of of the syndicator themselves. Here's what I'll say, you know, and this is not coming, this is coming from someone who runs a podcast, who has a social media presence. It's not huge, but we, we have a presence, right? I say that because you have to be mindful of when you're vetting a syndicator, if they are the face of the, pro, of, of the company, right? They're the face, they're the marketing channel. There's nothing wrong with that. That makes complete sense. That's usually their core genius. You want to know who's running the asset, who created the business plan, who did the underwriting, who's going to be managing the asset. Are they, are they managing an asset that's kind of a mild value add? Or are they doing a turnaround? And do they have the experience to do, actually do that? Or have they bought a, you know, class, you know, a new construction in class A and now they're going to class C and now they're in this? It, it, you know, so you want to see a very, very strong operational team behind any person that's out there as a talking head marketer and has a really fun personality, in my opinion. Because if that's not there, that's a problem. Because that's quite honestly, you and I know you make your money when you buy, not when you, I mean, you, you make your money when you sell, of course, but you're, 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 the rubber meets the road. You've closed the deal. You've raised the money. Great that you can get out there and raise money and be the personality. But now you got to operate the business plan. Do they have a business plan? What has been their business plans before? I think a big thing people don't vet is have they taken, do they have the experience that they've lived through different ups and down market, you know, in terms of the cycle? Or did they just get in the last couple of years? Different market. I'm sorry. Then the multifamily market is different than it was, you know, in 08, 09. We lived through the last crash. Not that everyone has to, but we had properties then and we kind of experienced that. Um, or anyone, does someone on, on that team have the experience? Um, it's different if you just get in a couple of years and now you're like Mr. and Mrs. Syndicator. Okay, that's awesome. But is your experience, do you have a breadth of experience? Does someone on the team have a breadth of experience, at least the property manager? Um, I think there's a ton of value in that. So beyond you know, looking at the track record, years of experience, um, do they have ex do they have expertise in the asset class that they're they're buying? And do they have expertise in the actual market? Really important. If you start asking questions about the market and they can't tell you why they're buying the property there, not every market is created equal. Not everyone wants to buy properties in Dallas, Texas. Not everyone wants to buy Lexington, Kentucky, where where we have a thousand units right now. It, it's not a right or wrong. Or why are they doing that? They're crazy. We all have different business models. So if you don't, they don't, they're not able to express their business model to you. We do workforce housing. We take very dilapidated buildings, renovate them. We do a very big value add on our, our assets. That's what we do. It's always what we've done. Not every syndicator will say they do the same thing. And it's not a right or wrong. They're doing, they're doing, they're doing them, we're doing us. So, but but if a syndicator or an operator can't tell you their business plan globally and then by project, that's a problem. Because then they're kind of like maybe they're just jumping on the train of 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 money flowing to multifamily, which quite honestly, since COVID, everyone's a multifamily. Every you know crazy amount of money is getting flooded into into the world of of uh, into the asset class of multifamily. So beyond um, the syndicator themselves, the operator, and and obviously their their track record, you do want to know the project they're getting into you know, in the market that they're getting into. And again, asking the questions, why this market? Why now? And in, in terms of, and in terms of the project itself, you know, uh, you want to see, in my opinion, beyond, because a syndicator is going to give you a lot of analysis. They're going to give you a lot of financials into a passive investor who's not as familiar, could feel a little like for a foreign language, right? It could feel like a language they don't know. But here's what you want to ask them. And here's what you want to know is have they conservatively underwritten their their deal meaning what does occupancy need to get to for you to be able to pay your debt to be able to pay your quote unquote bills right you pay your your you know your your be able to make your payments every month and your investors preferred returns and everything what does that look like and if they say 95% or 80% or even you know that's a problem because then everything has to work for this to this project to work our last project just to give you an example we were very conservative 
an underwriting. And that's the name of the game right now, especially in this world where we're headed, interest rates, pending recession, who knows? You have to be conservative in your underwriting. We wrote, underwrote it at, and it was at 60%. So far, 670 unit, five property um, portfolio went to 60%, literally 40% of the, 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 the units were unoccupied or not paying. We'd be able to pay all of our debts. And that was, we felt very comfortable with that. Um, not saying everyone has to get into a project that it's at 60%, but because of what we were doing and how we were doing it, we wanted to be really conservative and make sure it was protected. So if an operator can't tell you what their break even is or tell you anything even in the realm that they've looked at that, that's a, another red flag. Okay. A lot, a lot of really good information. Sorry. I'm no, well, no. Like a, <laughs> no, like I love it. Detail. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. And I think that the listeners are going to love it too. Uh, so one thing that really resonated with me that you said is owning for longer than just a portion of a real estate cycle. So what I'm seeing in the short-term world, like I didn't live through, I mean, I did live through 2008, obviously, because I'm here, but I didn't own property in 2008. I was 19. So, uh, but we are in a weird part of the real estate cycle right now. And what I'm seeing in my short-term Facebook groups is people... So like I've owned since 2016. So since kind of a bottom area cycle mm -hmm. of what, um, of short terms anyway. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing a lot of people who have only owned things for 12 to 18, maybe even 24 months who've only owned during COVID yep. are posting a lot of things going, oh my God, my occupancy is for May is, I, I don't have good occupancy for May. It's down from last year. It's down and everybody's flipping out. And it's only the people who've owned for less than two years who are doing that because they don't understand that in a normal year, May is not a big vacation month because everyone has either just gone on vacation or is about to go on vacation. Yeah. Like they just went on vacation in, in spring break and they're about to go on vacation for summer. So May historically in vacation markets is not part of the high season. But last year and the year before prime COVID time, it was because mm -hmm. it was just not a normal occupancy um, cycle. So a lot of the old, I say older school, but no, a lot of people who've owned for two years plus, those are the ones that are not freaking out. They're not posting because they're like, well, May is always kind of like this, but you know, the last two years it wasn't. So it's really important. I think whether you're doing a syndication or whether you're vetting any type of asset class is to look at not just the past few years, but what things do over the course of a real estate cycle, because it's not always, you know, there's always going to be a best year. There's always going to be a worst year and you're going to own a, own the asset in both probably. Yep. And so you have to be comfortable at every level at every step of that spectrum of best year, worst year. I so, love that. I love that. And just to add that. to that too, you know, we were looking at a development here in our, um, in the community that we live in. We don't own any property yet in the area that we're in. We're more of like a, you know, little bread and breakfast, cute little community. You know, things are expensive in those areas and we're, we're not used to, to, to like, well, that's a lot of money for that. But <laughs> we're, we're definitely like a vacation rental or a short term rental. I'll be coming to you, Avery. Um, so I really, really want to do that. I got to, I got to source some deals, but we were looking at a development and we were a little nervous about you know, what the, what the rental income could be. And just, you know, it's just new market for us in terms of, of investing and something we had heard and something that I'll often tell people is look back. If you're worried about the pending recession or a recession coming up, I mean, who could predict COVID, right? That was like, you know, where were you going to go for that? And then if anything, multifamily thrived, quite honestly, a lot of multifamily thrived during COVID and didn't do the opposite. But where I go for the development part was that we looked at what happened during 08, 09, 2010, 2011, it, meaning what happened in this local market in that time frame? Meaning, did, did it take a huge dip? You know, what was the impact of that previous recession on this local economy? And, and what did it do to, to the real estate? So we did that research. It was a couple of years ago, before COVID, right before COVID, we were looking at this development. And that eased us to say, okay, you know, let's, let's, you know, it didn't end up working for other reasons out of our control, but we were, that eased our concerns. So I always say to people right now, literally, if you're looking at a market and you're a little nervous about a pending recession, go look at what happened in that market. In, in, you know, 08, I would say 07 through 11, because that's going to give you before and after. And, and that might be a way to just hedge, you know, mitigate your own risk because every market's a little different. No question. 
every market is a, a little different depending on who they who they have as as homeowners, tenants, the economy, all those sort of things. Totally. So, all right, back to I'm a regular old investor. I'm yes. thinking of accredited investor. I'm thinking mm -hmm. of getting into multifamily, and I've decided. Okay. I want to be in the Liz Faircloth business. I like her business mm -hmm. plan. I like her. You present me with a deal. What am mm -hmm. I as an investor looking at in a deal? If I've decided, okay, this is the syndication I want to roll with, but now I'm looking at the deal. What am I looking mm -hmm. at? What am I looking for? Yeah, you're looking at you. And I want to say one quick thing before I share that. You can be both an accredited investor and a non-accredited investor and actually invest passively. You just, it depends on what you're, 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 you're investing in and what you're passively investing in. So it's, it's really how you file, you know, with, with the SEC accredited investors. And, and you'll, you'll know that syndicators are looking for accredited investors because they can say that they can literally solicit everyone. They can go into Walmart and go, Oh, are you an accredited investor? You can invest in my deal. If, if they're set up in that way, meaning that you can solicit, they can market, they can tell their friends, they can do whatever they want because of how they're set up. Where there's a no-no is that if they are set up, and many of our first syndications were not accredited only. They were not, there was, it was, it was um, uh, more of a, it's called a sophisticated investor. And um, it's defined pretty much that you know enough about the business that you're getting into, but you're not, you're non-accredited, right? You don't meet the accredited. Um, that's pre-existing relationships. So that's not solicitation. That's not putting a big sign up saying, I'm raising money for this project. Come invest with me. You can't do that. That's illegal because you need to have a pre-existing relationship. So for the last few, we've done accredited only. And the one we're actually working on now is set up non-accredited and accredited. So again, don't think you can't uh, passively invest with people uh, if you're if you're not not accredited yet. It just depends on if you're you know, what they have filed their project as, and if you can. And again, remember pre-existing relationship. If, if you're non-accredited, you're, you're going to be working with people. And, and, and that might mean a phone call, getting to know them before you just wire them money, obviously. So that's you, a, the difference between a 506B and 506C. And C. You B got is it. accredited. C is which one? I always get those two confused. Oh, that's horrible. That's like, I know, I know 506C is accredited. I'm pretty okay. sure. Oh, okay, now I got, I got to make sure. Like, Double check us, guys. Yeah. Now I'm just want to make sure I'm right. Um, yeah. C is, C is accredited. Okay. I do that all the time too with I get them e like, and Schedule C on taxes. I'm like, wait a minute, which one's passive? I can't remember. So, um, all right, cool. So Schedule C, you have to be accredited. And a deal can be both a 506B and a 506C? No, but the way you structure, not necessarily you're structuring, when how you structure your, your project, like this project we have, um, you could be an accredited investor or a non-accredited. And you, both of those types of people can invest. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Good to so know. So just, just from that perspective. But many of our initial syndications were all pre-existing relationships. They were all people, it was all non-accredited. And then we start because there's pros and cons to both. It's not just, oh, it's a better project if you accredit investors only. Not necessarily, not necessarily mm -hmm. at all. The project is could be created uh, equal or different. And it's just how you how you work with your investors and how you can actually get the word out. It's usually impacting your marketing of the project. Gotcha. Um, so makes a lot of sense. So back to your question though, sure. um, other things that you want to look for. In the deal, yeah. yeah, in the deal. Um, you want to look at time frame. So when you're working, when you're when you're a passive investor, something that I look at, because I passively invest in other people's projects as well. So we're both active and passive. Um, and we actually invest in our own deals as limited partners. <laughs> but I I'm more and more I love investing with other syndicators that I know, like, and trust and respect because now I can just collect checks versus having to do all the work. No. <laughs> um, so so something I look at is time frame. So in, in other words, what are the reasons people would be passively investing? Are you looking to replace your income? Are you looking to just build your retirement? Are you looking at just putting some money aside? Uh, and, and being able to, um, that's your kid's uh, college fund. There's so many different reasons, Avery, that people invest actively or passively in, 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 in real estate. And I think being crystal clear with that before you passively invest or actively invest is important because it may not yield the result you're looking for. So that's just my, my first thought. So why I say that is everyone's time frame varies. You'll have people, syndicators say, well, this is a, our, I'll give you an example, just the one we closed was a seven to 10 year hold. 
Some projects might be three to five years or five to seven years. So it also depends on how long you want your money tied up for, right? Your capital that you're investing in. Maybe you're like 10 years, no big, no big deal. Other people are like 10 years, I'm going to be 110. I can't you know, wait, wait that long to get my capital back or whatever, wherever you are in your, for your goals in your life. But I think time frame is important. The other big thing uh, is obviously um, what your returns are. You know, obviously anyone is going to get, they're going to tell you what their, what the projected returns are. There's no guarantee. This is not like a, 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 this is a guaranteed sort of any, in any sort of setup, you're just going to, you're going to go off of what that syndicator is saying based on our analysis, based on what we see, based on being conservative. This is what it looks like in terms of, of, of return. Um, I have to say there is a cash flow aspect, but, and there's a huge opportunity when you sell the asset. In the, in the world of large multi, because you'll be able to add the value, increase your net operating income and be able to, um, you know, especially now, I mean, we, we, we sold a property a year ago where um, we, we tripled, you know, investors return that, because it was, again, the COVID effect of just, we're, we're multifamily, everyone, where everyone wanted a building. Um, so another thing to look at too, I would say is, um, just had it in my my head and popped out. Um, it was a good point. Oh, refinancing. So many syndicators, uh, many many syndicators have refinancing as a as kind of a, a piece to the puzzle. And what you want to look at is okay, Mr. And Mrs. Syndicator, you're going to refinance. The goal is to refinance in three years. Now they can't refinance immediately because the whole point of refinancing is they're adding value to be able to refinance it at at, at you know a higher price, right, and at more value. So you want to see that baked into their plan, because then if they don't have that baked into their plan, that means they're not adding value, which means that's not going to drive up the asset and, and be, create more of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, um, a property that's worth more. But you want to know, what's the refinance plan? Are you going to get some of your cash back? And will your equity change? Meaning, I put 100 grand into this deal, and in three years, you say you're going to refinance, and your goal, your, your projection is that I'm going to get 50% back of my money. Awesome. I'm going to get 50 grand back. But do, does my ownership change? Does my equity change? Typically, it shouldn't. Many of our projects, it doesn't change. Who knows, though? You don't know the person. You don't know the operator. Maybe there's something and you can they can do what they want. They can structure it the way they want. But you want to know during a refinance uh, of, of the project, in inside the project, you want to know uh, what happens to your cash? Do you get cash returned? As well as um, what happens to your equity? And does that, does that get impacted? Those are good questions to ask. Because again, if it's a value-add syndicator, which that's the name of the game, you have to add value to, to create that um, business plan, they must have that baked in. And you want to know what their, what their answers are on that. So that's leading into the next question that I was going to ask. Um, so value-add in multifamily you add value by increasing your net operating inc income, which determines the value of the property. So, you know, if you do a bunch of rehab, which then increases the rent, which then increases the NOI, increases the value of the property. Am I, am I mm -hmm. tracking that correctly? Correct. Okay. So and value add is not created equal either. So if you'll say, someone say, oh, I'm a value add uh, syndicator. Everyone's adding value. It just depends on what value you're adding and and what level of value, right? What what level? The 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 more value, literally. Turn, I mean, we had a building in North Carolina. They had, had four active drug dealers, four active drug dealers of that property. It's 222 units, four active drug dealers. The exterior was a mess. How do you find uh, that out? How do you uh, determine oh, the number of drug dealers in a property? <laughs> well, we figured it out after we owned it, of course. We knew there were some issues. We did not know the extent of the issue, right? Gotcha. And then we counted them and there was four of them, um, four different ones. And, you know, I say that not because we like look for, for that all, but the the value. <laughs> Two drug dealer minimum for our deal. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I, sidebar, you have to be very careful of shootings, of, of murders, of all of those things, especially as your lender, as, as they, as they come on board because they're doing all their due diligence. So, so the, the riskier the property, right. The, the, the more they're going to be like, hold on. So you need to do your due diligence so you can present that very effectively in that situation. We knew that there was some drug activity. We knew that the, the building was a big turnaround, interior, exterior, um, the, 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 the way it was viewed in the community. We knew that. Again, the extent of it and the fact there was that, that many was a little more than we even knew. But 
you manage that and you, you know, you anticipate it. Um, I say that because the, 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 the turnaround aspect is creating not just safety, but you're improving the property exterior. You're, you're putting in amenities of the building. So a big thing in value add is amenities, right? So a class A property, new construction might have a gym. Most of our properties, I think one property out of all the properties we own has a gym and we just put it in. So, so again, the amenities matching the type of property or, you know, type of uh, property you have in the, in, in, in the you know, um, playgrounds, you know, uh, it attracts a family type atmosphere, dog parks. These are all amenities and value add amenities exterior, of course, that we always look at to say, okay, this makes sense. We even put a soccer field in one of our, our properties. It was a value add um, line item, but we knew that was going to create a better atmosphere and a community feel, which is important for us. So then you do the interior, right? Like what, what, what amenities and what's needed in that, um, in that actual unit to demand the rent increase. Cause here's the other thing that happens, Avery. A lot of people will literally just say, okay, I want to bump up my, my NOI. I'm going to increase the value of this building. I'm just going to raise rents and not do anything, literally not even improve the community, make a change that happens all the time, not our MO, but that is something that happens. And, uh, we have a property we bought during COVID in uh, Winston-Salem. We have quite a number of doors there in, in North Carolina. And, um, we've been able to look at, okay, what's the market, this type of property, it's right outside the city. What do people want and need and what will they pay for in order to, to demand that rent, rent bump? And um, we, we've been doing that, turning these around, and the, we've been able to raise the rent five times in a year. That's a lot. Whoa. We, that's, a, that's very rare, right? At least from our experiences, like that's pretty yeah, good. I think that is. <laughs> and, and it's still below market. It's still below market. So you have yeah. to know when you're looking at a property, even on the active side, what's the rental income today? What can it be? But in order to answer what can it be, what do you need to do in order to do to demand that? Not just increase it because everyone else is charging a thousand and this is eight hundred. Well, you have to actually do something. And and I think the biggest thing too is are you creating a professional atmosphere for the for the property? So many multifamily properties from ten units to two hundred units to more are just r- run very mom and pop. It's mm-hmm. surprising. We had a property we bought. It was. It was um, we still own it uh, in Pennsylvania and it was uh, 50 units. And you think 50 units is, is a decent size. It has a professional atmosphere. The gentleman who owned it was great and he built it. He actually built the whole project, but um, his one of his tenants went around and collected rent. That's how his rent collection was, was literally by hand. This wasn't 15 years ago. This was like, <laughs> this was about five years ago, right? So that's how he, so my point in saying that is so much, so much of value add is actually creating efficiencies you know, creating kind of like uh, the way property management will work inside of the building. And is there efficiencies? Is there, um, you know, is there just really it's it's the economy's efficiencies? Because if you have a lot of units, you should be doing it in a very efficient way and running it very professional. So it's not only updating the inside, updating the exterior, adding amenities. It's also optimizing the management. Absolutely. Because that's your expense, right? That, that right. could be that could be heavy on the, especially as doors are added. You know, you you start to say, oh, you know, like a, a rental collection or how much time does it take to, you know, what, what does that look like? And what are the incentives? And it makes a difference when it's 10, 20, 30 or 100 units because it's the size at which it is. Okay. So in a in an asset class where the ability to add value also, or to add value, sorry, to the tenants and to, you know, increasing the rent increases the value of the property. Whereas mm-hmm. single families, and I, I have a lot of questions about this, where people will say, well, why aren't you syndicating short terms? You have a platform, why don't you syndicate it? And mm. I'm like, well, because what I'm seeing is a lot of people trying to get into that space. And what they're doing is buying turnkey short-term rentals that since they're residential, because short-term is kind of a weird asset class, you mm-hmm. can get commercial financing on it, but it it's still a residential asset and the appraisal is based in most cases on uh, residential sold comps. So a property that is a primary home that makes $0 is worth the same amount as a property that makes $100,000 if Mm. they're the same property. So Mm -hmm. 
Why do you think that more people don't get into trying to syndicate single families? Because for me, I mean, maybe there's a way around it. Maybe you have mm -hmm. an idea about that. To me, it's like, okay, I'm buying something turnkey. There's only so much value I can add to it in terms of increasing everything, but it doesn't actually increase the appraised value of the property. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, a little bit of a conundrum there. Well, I think the, 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 the most important thing is that you're pulling money together and you have investors. So the biggest question mark is what is their exit? What's, what returns are you going to pay them? And uh, how conservative is that? And is there enough room in the project that, you know, what all the what ifs happen, right? Takes longer to turn it around, especially some of our projects. Um, that deal that I was telling you about the four active drug dealers, uh, we sold that and and did very well for, for the investors. They were very happy, exceeded everyone's expectations. But that was a turnaround, right? So it took more time, more energy. So with, with regards to syndicating, people can syndicate anything. They can go syndicate buying trees. I mean, it, it's really, you know, they wouldn't, but you know what I mean? It, it, it Syndication doesn't always mean multifamily, to your point. They could be, and I've heard the same thing. It's really about, is there enough room as long as you're doing it legally, of course, let's let's cross off all those check marks that they've done it legally and they're filing it correctly, and and that's all that's all um, correct in 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 terms of legalities. Once that's been done, the business model or you know the, the way to think of it is, you know, is there enough operational efficiencies that could be made that there's enough room to be able to to you know number one that the project makes sense financially operationally is running smoothly and is paying out the general partners, right? That the general partners are, there's enough kind of meat on the bones, if you will, that they're getting paid, right? That in terms of, and then there's fees included, construction fees, asset management fees. Um, any project tends to have that, right? Because people that are running the project need to get paid. They can't wait 10 years, just 10 years on the equity side. They have to get, they feed their families, et cetera. So there's a lot of fees usually with syndication uh, as well. And so after all that's said and done, is there enough conservative, has the underwriting been conservative enough that you can pay your PREF and pay your 6%, 8%, 10%, whatever you've, you know, um, you know, created for your investors uh, without missing a beat? That's the big question. So I, I would say more so from a financial aspect, does it make sense? To your point, then it goes back to, are you adding the value? Are you, are, are you doing something here to do? fulfill that business plan. And if the business plan is to buy turnkey, to your point, I, I would also, um, I'd wonder about that in terms of, of, of the kind of lacking of the value add aspect. Because right. Turnkey is not, you know, you're just buying it ready to roll. So. Yeah. And the, so that's, that's kind of the, the puzzle pieces there is like, mm -hmm. well, people are getting together these syndications or maybe they're not legal syndications, these groups of people that, they want to go ahead and get it up and running and making as much money as possible. So they're just buying this turnkey stuff ready to go. And you're kind of not as in control of the value of the property with a single family as you are with a, um, you can never be 100% in control, but you know, with a, a big multifamily, you're more in control because you can force that appreciation. Whereas you, it's more, much more difficult to force the appreciation, I think on a, a single family residential. And so I just don't see people mm. really getting any traction with that. So, you know, it's definitely something that I've got a lot of questions on. Wanted to get somebody who's a professional in the syndication space, um, get get your thoughts on that. So, yeah, thank you. No, and I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I think you're, it's an interesting question. I think the power of pooling money together and being able to buy larger assets or 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 assets that you just couldn't ever dream of buying by yourself and you're in it, you're, we are creating a win-win. So I think if you come from that perspective, how does the, how does, how do I, how do the investors win in this situation? What has to happen for that, for that to happen? You know, that's the most important thing as a syndicator you're asking, because you don't want to just return their capital, right? You want to be able to, 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 I mean, think about it. We, we work with hundreds of investors. I mean, we've had nights, right? Or certain projects you worry about or, or whatever it might be in 16 years. That's always been our biggest concern. That's always been our biggest, um, I mean, I'll go homeless before I see an investor lose their money, right? We have, we've always returned our investors' capital uh, in, in our 16 years. And we're proud of that, you know? Sometimes a couple, one project, you know, that was, six, seven years ago, we didn't get them quite the, you know, the returns that we were all hoping for, but that happens, you know, and, and, and when you're doing a lot of projects, that doesn't happen all the time. My point in saying that too, is I think so many people are so 
more interested in, in the like, how do we do this together and how do we build this together to your point, syndicate versus like, how am I going to return my investors capital? How am I going to make them the money in a conservative way that I, you know, that, and if there is room, then great. But yeah, to your point, the less you have control over, um, it, it makes it more problematic. I feel like multifamily is such a, you know, especially if you're, you're investing in the right communities, there's jobs, there's, there's growth, there's movement to the community. Um, it's, it's hard to really not add value to any multifamily. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, you, it, it happens, but it, it, I feel like it's a more secure, steady, um, you know, asset class. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a big believer of like you buy the short terms to build the capital, to get that heavy cash flow coming in so that you can then go diversify into other things or go buy more short terms. There's no wrong way to do it. But sure. for me in my career, it's really been just to build a bunch of capital so that I can grow my portfolio in, in whatever way I want to, because now I have the capital to do that. So um, all right, we are to the last three questions of the show that we ask everyone. The first one is, what advice would you give 20-year-old Liz if you knew then what you know now? <sighs> Where do I start? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I would say one of the biggest things I, I wish I told 20-year-old Liz was to not do so much yourself. I wish I learned that sooner. I, I, you know, I, we held on to a lot when we got started. One, we didn't have the money to pay people, but two, it was also just this work ethic that, that I think I had in myself that I needed to be the one doing it. My clean apartment showed everything. We literally did everything. Um, and I, I have that behavior in me sometimes I have to be very mindful of, of what can I, can I eliminate? What can I outsource? What can I, what can I delegate? You know, I don't think I thought that, or even thought that was that I'll save money by doing this, you know, versus mm -hmm. it, I'm really not saving money in the end. So that's what I wish I, I wish I told my 20 year old self. So along those same lines, what advice would you give a new investor who's getting started today? Stop saying it's a hot market and you can't find deals. Just stop, <laughs> stop saying that. That's so just, good. That's so good. I mean, just stop saying that, please. Because when, when I just recorded something on this for our, for our Stride members, you know, our Stride members. Mm -hmm. And I said, listen, the worst thing you could do right now in this market is say it's so hot and, and there's no deals to be done. Because guess what? You're not going to find any deals. So I just think that's an excuse. There's always properties to be had. There's always opportunity in every market. I just think we need to, I would say right now in this market, don't overspend, be conservative, and be patient. And also think outside the box. How can mm -hmm. you reuse things? Like I had a, we had a woman the other day. She said, oh, I bought a duplex on the MLS. And I said, She's like, yeah, there's no bids. I was the only bidder. I'm like, okay, tell me more because this is <laughs> intriguing. She's like, it didn't make sense as a duplex. I converted it into a luxury short-term rental and I you know, oh. made it a single family and I tripled my revenue as I would compared to the duplex. I just had to do some zoning and there was a little work there, but I did it and and bingo, now I have a, I have a, now if that was on the market, there would have been 95 bids on it, right? Right. So again, I think, People are not thinking creatively. They're not thinking about reuse and they're just doing what everyone else is doing. And they're also saying what everyone else is saying. Just stop right. and don't wait for a recession or is it a good time? The interest rate just, there's always a good time. You just have to be smart and be conservative. Totally. I think that's great advice to stop, <laughs> just stop saying that. <laughs> All right. So last question, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? I'm staring at my bookshelf right now. So there's a lot of them. I would say... One of my favorites that I, I read when I was in my 20s, and I am so grateful I did, was Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. We know him to be a big, obviously big mega speaker, and he's he's amazing with his weekends, but he's only written a few books, and that was one of his first books. Um, and it's a big book. It's about this big, and it goes into like psychology and pain and pleasure and just all the mindset aspects that I still think about now. And I need it's one of those books. It's like a should, everyone should read it. It's like a textbook. Everyone should read it in, in their in their life. Um, hugely beneficial, especially on how I need to think and what I need to shift in my mindset. 
You're the second person today who's recommended that I read that book. So I'm going to get it. <laughs> I'm like, I have two copies. I'll just send you one if you're yeah. into like books. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally into books. Books are awesome. I mean, like books, books, not audible book, book. But some people like, don't ever send me a book. Just send me an audible credit. I'm like, okay. No, I but like yes. I like to read. I like the act of like sitting down and reading a book. Me too. I mean, Audible definitely has its place, like in the car or whatever. But I like to read I'm more a, of a, a hard too. copy. Me too. Yeah. Well, cool. Liz, uh, thank you so much for coming on. If our listeners, y'all, Liz has a lot of great programs at uh, Real Estate Invest Her. If they want to find you, find out more about Real Estate Invest Her, where can they find you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so our, our website's a good place, therealestateinvesther.com. Uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, active projects or what we're doing on the DeRosa side, it's derosagroup.com. But yeah, we're putting together InvestorCon. Avery will be there, uh, okay. one of our proud sponsors and everything, uh, June 23rd, 24th. So if you know, um, you know, there will be men there, but, but it's geared <laughs> towards women. Uh, but really, it's about creating a two-day uh, transformational experience for women. Uh, it'll be 20 speakers, five keynotes, and Women will leave different than they, you know, transformed as they as they come in because we're really, really about um, creating an experience. So yeah, if you know anyone, if that has any interest to you, we'd love to have you. Love to meet you in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, in June. And you can get yeah, more info on our website. Get- Come out to that because I'll be speaking, but who are the keynotes, Liz? Let's hit those real quick. Yeah. So uh, Kim Kiyosaki is going to be keynoting, which, you know, she she is running, uh, you know, we, we think of her as, as Robert, Robert Kiyosaki's wife, but she's she got she built her rental portfolio. But just she's got such a neat story. Uh, she runs the Rich Dad Company, and she's going to be talking about mindset and, and and real estate. So just a phenomenal woman and 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 uh, authored also Rich Woman, I think was a couple of books she's she's authored. She's phenomenal. Um, the, we'll also have uh, another woman, because we talk not just about investing, which I know you appreciate, Avery, but it's also about mindset, self-care, and also the business aspect of doing this, not just as a hobby. So we have a woman, uh, Shannon uh, Waller, her name is, she is... One of, um, if you know who, not how, and uh, Dan Sullivan has authored n- numerous books. Strategic Coach is a very, very successful coaching program out there. She's one of their top coaches, and she's going to be talking about how to 10 times your business, 10x your business, excuse me. So she's going to be talking about in the business aspect, which just Andressa called me right after her conversation with her. She's like, oh my God, this is going to be worth it right here with, mm-hmm. with Shannon coming. Um, we have um, Wendy Papasan coming. Uh, she's a very big uh, she's agent investor, just very, um, talks a lot about leverage building teams. And she's going to be talking about various things there. Um, and, and the other keynotes are escaping my mind just in this brief moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, Wendy and Shannon and Kim. Oh, oh, Evie, Evie's going to be talking. She's a phenomenal woman. She's done a lot of, um, work on mindset as well. So she's going to be talking about moving through your limiting beliefs, you know, and, and how you do that powerfully. So, and then we have, you're going to be on in a phenomenal <laughs> panel on uh, short-term rentals. We have women's talk, women talking about syndication. We have women talking about self-storage investing. We have um, how to buy your next rental in the next 90 days. So we have then specific, specific sessions on core investing strategies. Um, yeah. So there's going to be a lot of content. We have some amazing companies. You guys will be there as one of our key, key sponsors. So excited about that. We're we're literally talking to companies like who's going to provide resources to to the women there. We don't want to just have companies that have have them there talking about their companies. We want the right resources for the women there. So we're really excited about that too. There'll be some amazing, amazing resources for women to get connected to too. Awesome. Yeah. So y'all check it out, realestateinvesther.com for all of that info. Liz, thank you so much for coming and we'll catch you later. Thank you so much, Avery. Appreciate it.